Welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show. I'm Andrew Slavin, and it was another controversial weekend of Premiership football. Hooray! There's no taming Timmy, Claire's looking classy, and Hasty's looking tasty. Even though they're dressed as burglars, St Mirren were the ones feeling robbed after Rangers were awarded four penalties. And Hamilton might seem vanilla, but now they've got Rice Rice Baby. More on the Grain Brain shortly. We've got some massive midweek action to look forward to as McInnes looks to get one over on Gerrard again. And we'll be heading to League Two to catch up with the only English team in Scotland. Joining me in the studio, I love these guys more than Robbie Nielsen loves Osmond So. From Copper 90, it's Laura Brannan, and from The Telegraph, it's JJ Bull. Hello. Hello. You all right? Yes. All good. So Nielsen signed Osmond So again for the third time on Deadline Day. That's why I'm saying what I'm saying. Um, and the pals down the road, Dundee, got 11 players in in January as well. Pretty big Deadline Day, folks. It was huge. I was doing a live blog on all the transfers, trying to put as many Scottish ones in. I didn't cover every single one of the 11 that they were signed. No, oh, that's a shame. It's too many. There's so many. Also, I wasn't doing it all day. Laura, do you have fun? Yes, yeah, it's, it's strange having Deadline Day down here now that I'm not a journalist. Back yeah. in Scotland, so it's a, it's a different type of deadline day from You're what doing I used this. to. It's sort of it's yeah. journalism. I apologise if I sound a little bit sleepy or tired because I did um, watch the Super Bowl last night. It was um, it was long. You're so cool watching the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I regretted it though by the fourth quarter because it was really. I thought it was awful. Good. It yeah. wasn't as good as previous years. So, but I did it. I managed it, and I'm now I'm here, and I'm tired. Did you have hot dogs and wings? No, I didn't. Um, but my lovely girlfriend made haggis and sausage sausage rolls, as well as totty scones, which you can't get down in London and are proper amazing. If so, anyone knows where I can get a Scotch pie, like a proper one in London, please, please at the totally or at me or at the totally show. <laughs> I need to know Scotch pies Yeah I remember I found Totty Not Scones steak, Scotch I found Totty Scones In Camberwell South London And that was amazing When I lived there For a little while But yeah I'm I'm suffering um, But my missus Also made square sausages It's amazing But I'm disappointed In both of you I brought in The haggis sausage rolls And none of you want any I was waiting for a Scotch pie Producer Charlie Absolutely loved The haggis sausage rolls So good on him It's more Scottish than you two What comes next You've been freed Do you know how hard it is to lead? You're on your own Awesome! Wow! Do you have a clue what happens now? Drama at Hamilton this week Since we last spoke to you Martin Canning was canned as Aki's boss and replaced by St Mirren assistant Brian Rice We are joined now by Andy McGilvery from the Hamilton Advertiser Andy, is it fair to say Canning's relationship with the fans had soured? I think it's fair to say that, yeah. Quite a lot of the fans seemed to be very disillusioned with everything that was going on. And uh, there were quite a few demonstrations from the fans that were quite vocal in their, their kind of displeasure with it. And I think a number of them were also staying away from the, the, the team as well. It's a bit of an odd time to sack someone because just after, or just before, I should say, transfer deadline day. Do you think it had anything to do with... Uh, with all the the noise with the with Canning's dad, obviously what happened there, it's it just becoming quite toxic. The board felt they had no choice. I don't choice think it actually rid. had anything to do with that at all. Believe it or not, I think it was just the case that Alan Maitland had been evaluating things over the last few weeks and had just decided that it was time for change. And I think he's probably right in that one. To be fair, on a Tuesday, when uh, Martin was relieved of his duties and Alan was talking to the media, I asked him if he had anybody in mind, and there was a glint in his eye. And uh, he later actually admitted to me at that point that he already knew that Brian was coming in. Alan Maitland, the chairman, he's kind of gone for a new route now by going via the, like a head a head coach role. Um, so Brian Rice fills that along with having a director of football. Do you think this is the right direction for Hamilton? I think it's a good idea, actually. Um, I think something that not a lot of people know is that the amount of work that Martin Canning did at Hamilton Aquis was absolutely phenomenal. The hours that he put in in the job were incredible. And that's particularly why I find it annoying that he hasn't been a success at this one. I think what's happened with Alan is that he's taken quite a lot of the roles away from Brian that Martin would have done previously. And I think that can only help. I think more people doing more roles probably means less pressure on everybody involved. And I think that probably is a good idea. 
So how will the fans remember Martin Canning then? Will this taint anything that he did as a player? I hope that that doesn't happen. I hope that what Martin achieved as a player and as a captain of the club is going to be something that people will really remember. And I really hope, to be fair as well, that although the football wasn't great to watch at the end and fans were unhappy with it, he did keep the club in the top flight for a number of years. And I think that's why he really should be remembered for that. Has there been more of a, kind of a change of atmosphere since Rice has come in? I know he's trying to be a bit more attacking on the pitch, bring more positivity to it. Yes, absolutely. It's been, it's been a real boost about the club. Um, you could actually feel it was almost palpable on Saturday before the before, during and after the Dundee game, I have to say. Um, I think, yes, they attacked a lot more than they have done for a while. Um, really deserved the point in the end. And I think it just the kind of general feeling of optimism, I think, was really high amongst the supporters. And that's, that's something I've not experienced for quite some time. It was obviously a big goal from Darren McKinnon at the weekend because Dundee could have leapfrogged uh, you guys uh, and you don't want to be milling around those relegation playoff places. So how big um, was that result? Had Dundee won that game, that would have been five wins in a row, believe it or not, against Hamilton. I just actually checked that today. Um, it would have been pretty bad had they won that game. I think Hamilton would have been in all sorts of trouble and I think it would have been quite difficult. But I think the point gives them a wee chance. And if they can pick up a few results between now and the end of the season, there's a, a chance that they can stay up again. And if that happens, I think Brian Rice will have achieved quite a lot as well. After an eventful week at Hibernian, their next assignment is a trip to Glasgow. Celtic beat Hibs 4-2 at Celtic Park in one of the best games of the season back in October. But it's fair to say Hibs are in a very different place now. Celtic were 2-0 winners at St Johnson on Sunday. Timothy Weah off the bench with a goal and an assist. He was pretty special coming on. 18 years old, super sub. Changes the game as well. One assist, one goal. A wee bit of flair. Looks like he's bringing something different. Absolutely rapid. Shouldn't be too long for his start and I would have thought. You can see the difference in in class. The kind of player that Celtic can afford to take in. Like So Weah's first touch... For the for the goal he set up, the assist is absolutely superb. The way he takes it down first time, it, it, it's stunning. And then the second goal he scored, I mean, St. Johnston did well to hold them the whole game. Weah's first touch for the goal that he set up was amazing. And then the first touch, and I can't remember the name of the player who's done it, uh, it's a corner that St. Johnston are attacking, the ball comes out, and his first touch is nowhere near good enough. The ball bounces off his shin, basically. Sinclair who starts comes the in. counter, yeah. yeah. And then you see, the thing I like about that, that's the, the counter is they go off 3v1, but the, the ball that Weah plays when he's on it, he's on the right side and he passes it out, it's just so close to the defender that it could get taken. But because he puts it forward, it means they can run at full pace. Because if he plays that sideways or slightly slower than the way he does it, mm-hmm. it would spoil all 3-1 and that and give him a chance to get back. Like really clinically taken counter-attack goals. I mean, a few uh, worrying things um, for Celtic fans. Uh, quite a few injuries. The injury list for Celtic is is incredible. So they've lost the likes of Eduard, who went off injured. James Forrest went off injured. Uh, and now Christopher Iyer got a red card at the end of the game at the weekend. Yeah. So Ryan Christie was lucky to survive being punted into the goal from Jason Kerr. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's you know these things are racking up. Michael Lustig as well. He's another one. Tom Rogic so, as well. Tom Rogic. They're they're all there. I kind of look at the list of players um, that are out or sideline just now, and I just think it's still not enough for Hibs to make an impact against them midweek. I just think Celtic are up and running now, and I fear that this might be the point, the turning point, where they just go full steam ahead and they're off into the sunset, and that's the last we see of them. Um, yes, there's very big, important players that are sidelined, but they have just as good on the bench that they can turn to and equally strengthen the side and especially considering the form that Hibs are on just now and the position they're in if it had been a bigger team say Hearts, um, Kelly, Aberdeen up at that end of the table it could have been a more difficult game for Celtic coming midweek but I think this one is yet again another foregone conclusion I'm not sure I, think, I mean Celtic should win every competition they're in this season apart from the Europa League but uh, Teams can find a way to keep them quiet and I think it's mostly when Scott Brown's playing because they slow everything down. McGregor's been great. He's played more passes than any player in the league because um, he's at the heart of everything. But Scott Brown's trying to play with even more passes than him and uh, everything slows down. They don't get forward quick enough. They don't put the passes between the lines quick enough. They don't get forward. And so teams can sit in a low block and just let them have the ball. It's similar to what's going on with Chelsea in English Premier League just now is they don't have anything really when they get to the final third. Except Celtic are such good players that they often take advantage of mistakes. Well, they're 
six points clear at the moment. Rogers will be hoping that the signings he's brought in in January will will help out, it's particularly Jeremy Tolyan. If we just spend a bit of time with this whole Neil Lennon situation, we kind of have to address it because I'm still confused by it all. Um, the fact that he wasn't found guilty of any wrongdoing but was leaving the club by a mutual consent. He so, wasn't in court or anything. <laughs> yeah, there was nothing like that. But I, I even read um, this morning about James McLaren, who's now back at Melbourne. He's left Hibs. He was a signing from, from Neil Lennon in the summer from Darmstadt in Germany. And he's basically said, I, I left Hibs because Neil Lennon was sacked. So it adds more fire to the confusion of this story. There's lots of stories. I mean, I don't know how any of them can be true. I don't believe any of the WhatsApps, the various WhatsApps that I've seen, which is, seems to be how uh, fake news gets spread a lot with these football things. Uh-huh. But it could equally, who knows, that there's rumours of uh, a bust-up at training. There's um, lots of rumours that uh, the Hibs board didn't really back Lennon as much as they might have done and maybe had been looking at potentially bringing other people in later mm. in the season anyway and he didn't like that but we don't know it's all conjecture so there's no possible way to do it but it's a real mess for them it's pretty embarrassing for the board how it's how it's gone down mm-hmm. and now that's that team without a manager at a pretty crucial point in the season they could easily fall away from getting into that top six if they're not back on it soon they were good against Aberdeen, but they were beaten by a better team. Yeah, I feel like this is maybe something that we will not hear fully the extent of, or ever fully hear the extent of it, but we won't really know much more until maybe certain players have left the club or certain people at the club have retired. It'll always be that sort of myth of what, what actually did happen to Hibs. Some autobiographies to come out. Yeah, I just feel like there's a lot here <laughs> we're not hearing. being scientists now, I mean, imagine. <laughs> you, don't, you don't leave a job like that. You're not sacked. You don't walk away. So what 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 did you do? There's clearly something has gone wrong to an extent where somebody is covering up for somebody to spare them the blushes. Well, the fact of the matter is, it's a good club to go to, and it did wonders for for Neil Lennon's career as a manager, and it did wonders for Hibs because they ended up back in the Premiership. This situation now doesn't make for great reading for Neil Lennon and, and his kind of stock as a manager because it makes it look like he's left under a murky cloud shall we say but listen more bad news for Hibs Ryan Porteous is out for the season um, but they have brought in a little bit of cover with Darnell Johnson and a few more signings Mark McNulty we can talk about and Gail Biggeramana which is quite interesting yeah I like that one didn't expect it at all but it makes sense because Hibs played quite nice attacking football or they did under Lennon uh, and they could have done with someone in that midfield to help out because that's where they were I think a lot of the fans have said that they're really missing the midfield they had last season because they've got Stevie Mallon pinging 30 yarders yeah. all the time he came on against Aberdeen in the second half and was pointing bigger, where people should go manner. yeah bigger man I should say and he was sitting a lot deeper I think is this kind of six so maybe that's where they see him going but then who's to say so he signed for Hibs right it's a weird one you, you sign for another club and then there's no <laughs> like who's he signed for the new manager can come in and go I don't fancy this guy see ya I'm interested to see how Bigger Man gets on because from a Mullow perspective I never saw a lot from him he tends to be this player that the fans kind of talked up to be something that he never quite hit the heights that they wanted him to be if things weren't going right fans were calling for him on Twitter why is Stephen Robinson not playing Bigger Man he's a small creative player he's an exciting prospect that can come in and change a game if things aren't going right but I don't quite know what they're basing that on. He maybe had one or two occasions where he came on and he did to change the game. But on a regular basis, he didn't really show anything. So I'd be interested to see exactly what he does at Hibson across the second half of the season. He's still a fairly young guy, but he's been around now. You know, He, he went to Rangers um, from Newcastle. Um, he was a bit of a prospect there. Um, so he was with Rangers. Yeah, he was with Rangers when they were in the Championship. Then he went to Motherwell. Now he's at Hibs. I think he just needs to find a place he can call home. Rangers beginning on the front foot, as you would expect them to do at Ibrox. Oh, and they've got a penalty here! Andrew Dallas pointed straight to the spot. Defoe! Oh, he's given another penalty here! And Andrew Dallas is taking on some consultation with the assistant on the near side, and he's given another penalty for that! Another controversial penalty award by Andrew Dallas. And Andrew Dallas reckons that's in the box. It's another penalty. This is a fourth penalty for Rangers. Yes, it was all about Dallas on Saturday. 
Andrew awarded Rangers four penalties in their 4-0 win over St Mirren at Ibrox. Stephen Gerrard said it could have been five penalties. Let's answer the question. How many penalties should Rangers have had? I put it to the floor. You two, you tell me. 1.5. 1.5. The half is four. The one at the end where um, Morelos went down to throw off the ball has only been pulled to the ground. Because I'm not exactly well, how sure. How is it half then? Because I don't know if it's really well. one. But well, it could I, was, be. I was thinking it's two and a half. And my half was because I've only seen one angle of the fifth controversial decision. By seeing that one angle, I would say it's a penalty, but it was a very poor angle. Yeah. And I would like to see more to take a conclusive decision okay. on that. Well, poor cameraman. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's um, shame to his family. <laughs> let's let's go through it chronologically then, just for my own sake. Um, so penalty number one. Uh, Ethan Errol on, on Defoe penalty clear penalty yes even his teammates are going you fool <laughs> well he's only young Errol no, but, but it's, it's still a silly place to put your leg it's in it's right. annoying when it's your job yeah. alright penalty number two uh, Paul McGinn's foul on Defoe not so, a foul there was no foul interesting you say no foul yeah so you mean no pen no penalty no penalty yeah Defoe's got his left leg hanging in because he's a very tricky little player He's very experienced, obviously he's played at the highest level and he can see the leg coming so he might get contact and if he does, that would be enough to get a foul so he's entitled to look for that but he doesn't go down holding his leg howling and that, if he did, then I think it would be a dive and he should be booked and sent to the moon but because he <laughs> does not do that he gets up and tries to play on and that's the thing, no one really reacts to that one so it's weird that Dallas goes straight away oh, it's a definite penalty I've, Yeah, I've yeah seen so it. Dallas makes the call straight away I do agree with that to an extent but I hate this aspect of oh well he was looking for it or he knew he thought it was coming so like no that's that's still intent to dive that's no, not though I don't it's 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 just canny playing so if you're going in the box and you know the way you're running you know you're going to draw a foul you know that you can hang a little bit because you'll get the, you'll get a knock that would send you down it's it's not it's dishonest it's dishonest, but, but it's an art it's form. It's part of the game. It's a, to- it's a total art yeah. form. As much as it's not howling like throwing your body around, going like, ah, you, you would, you would probably, face. you would probably get a lot of people saying, well, he's not looking for the penalty in the sense that he's not saying to the referee, hey, I just got fouled here. Yeah. He's kind of trying to continue his run, but he's being clever. And at the end of the day, okay, he is giving Andrew Dallas a decision to make. Ultimately, it's down to Andrew Dallas to. Yeah, to and get it right. He didn't get it right. Correct. No, he got it. He got it absolutely. He got it wrong. <laughs> got it wrong. Now, penalty number three, uh, Greg Tansy handball. But it looks like this one wasn't given by Dallas. Looks like this one was more from the assistant Alistair Mather, who is also incorrect because this one is the the ball hits him outside the penalty area, and also I'm not sure it's not even a foul because he's just putting his hands up to stop the ball smashing into his face, which is natural. So are you a no? I don't think that's a penalty. I think it is a penalty. There we go. <laughs> Laura's going through screen grabs of it very uh, yes. meticulously to prove that it is, but I'm convinced that the ball hits Tansy's hands outside. It does. The ball definitely does touch his hands outside, but it then continues to touch his hands inside the box. Which and I think that, is nonsense, but you've told me there's some rule. So there is a, the, the rule is if the foul starts outside the penalty area and continues inside the penalty area, then the foul should be awarded. So that's different from the likes of if you're you pull at somebody and then they fall into the box because then the foul has happened outside the box. But in this case, the foul has continued to happen beyond the line. It's an odd definition, though, isn't it? Because then for that, you could say, I could hold on to your shorts as you run into the box and then and then you could find it as a foul when you get into the box. Well, yeah, but that's the whole point. If you're holding the shorts but that's when the, I'm in the box, that, that's, that yeah. that's what Laura's saying. If you're holding someone's shorts and you're holding them as that foul continues into the box... Well then, it's it's a penalty because the foul continues. Imagine it just continuing. It's when it starts. Yeah, it's not where it starts I, though. I that's ag- the rule. It's not agree. where it starts. I, that, that's what also what I thought it was. I think a lot of people before this weekend thought that. Yeah. But looking into it more, that isn't actually the rule. So as much as when I first saw that and thought that's insane, that's a terrible decision. When you actually dig deeper. Yeah, actually got it right. There's I a don't chance know. that all I... these decisions in the refereeing world in Scotland this season have actually been dead on, but no one's read the stupid rules that have all been but, changed by some maniac. But you've, you've, I know Tansy's not exactly right next to Tavernier, who whips it in, 
but because he's just hit it, he's going. To th- he's throwing his hands in the air. I don't think his hands are in an unnatural position. No, I don't think so either. Um, so for that point, it, it cannot be deliberate, and I think it needs to be a deliberate handball like as much as it is a foul. And that's the what's the third one he's given? That's the third penalty. To like cool your jets, like. <laughs> Tansy starts with his hands behind his back. Yes. He yeah, turns point. and his arms go up. Yep. And but the, the distance in... between the ball being kicked and where he's standing, it is enough distance for him to calculate. It's not like it's right in front of him. Is there not an argument to say that if it is not deliberate handball, it shouldn't be a foul? Of course. But in this case, I think it was a deliberate handball. Right. Penalty number four. Um, Tansy involved again he brings down Candace inside the box or out again this is a crime against penalty boxes this is the worst penalty of the lot yeah oh this was never a penalty in a million years if you freeze it down it's clearly about five yards out to the box so it's um, Tansy's got his arm on Candace's thigh and Candace is very clearly not in the box, so everyone can agree on that. But then he pulls his arm away and Candace jumps into the box. And if you freeze it at that moment, Candace leaves the ground. His feet are still outside the box and there's no opposition arm on him at that point. Mm. So that is that is the, the worst decision for me of the whole afternoon. That is not a penalty. I wonder whether Dallas is just good enough to referee at premiership level. It's pretty strong to say. I I mean, he doesn't care what I say, but that's not the first high-profile one he's done. He had an absolute howler in the Scottish uh, League Cup final, I should say. Um, And there's several others over the whole season. They're not full-time, so sure, that's an excuse. They don't have VAR, sure, that's an excuse. The standard is across all referees in Scotland is is like embarrassing this season. And Dallas has had four penalties given there. If you're a professional referee, you should have a better idea than we do, having to go through rules and going all through it. But I think if you took like a, an, an ex-ref and they got them to go through each of those decisions, they would be able to go through and show why it's incorrect. And it must be a shocking shortage of pro-refs if Dallas is one of the elite. So anyway, two wins in the spin for Rangers. Their best run of the season in the league so far is three wins in a row. They need to be getting more wins in a row if they're going to push Celtic to the wire. They can't just rely on little busts of, of good results. Yeah, they're so inconsistent. If you look at Motherwell right now, they are on a better winning streak of four games than Rangers have been all season and they're struggling down in ninth place. How are Rangers supposed to challenge for the title if they can't pick up some form of consistency? They need to shake themselves here and decide, are we going for this or not? Because right now, they're not going to win the league. Well, they've yet to beat Aberdeen um, this season. So... Fourth time lucky, Patodre. <laughs> <laughs> the first game of the season, that was, I mean, it was quite funny that they didn't win that because they were, they, they pummeled Aberdeen and then it was that late equaliser that yeah. they got. Uh, I don't know. I think um, Aberdeen are playing really well just now. We are joined now by TV producer and Aberdeen blogger, it's Ali Big. Ali, the Dons won 2-1 at Hibs on Saturday and are now up to third, their highest position of the season. What's gone right in the last couple of months? That's a good question. I just think that we've just clicked at the right time. I think from our own standards, we've had a bit of a, um, a stumble to the first part of the season, but all of a sudden we've just clicked. And I think we're coming into this game probably in our best form so far. The Dubai winter break that the boys have had for the past three or four years, historically, whenever we've come back from this winter training camp, we've had a really good run towards the end of the season and I'm expecting exactly the same so I just think at the right time we've just clicked 22 points from a possible 27 um, and you could go above Rangers uh, with a victory at Pataudry what would it mean to Don's fans to finish above Rangers this season? Everything, it always <laughs> does um, listen it's, it's, it's uh, for me obviously I want to finish above Rangers but I also want to finish above Celtic mm. it's not just a case about winning second place or getting to second place or winning a cup or anything like that I want more than that and I think we have to start changing the mentality because I think for far too long people have been scared to suggest that we could actually win the league and through through my blogging by speaking to a host of ex-players who played in the Alex Ferguson era, they had this belief 
which emanated from Sir Alex that Aberdeen could win the league. And it was all about a mentality. And it was all about a belief in getting everybody singing from the same hymn sheet. And I don't see why we shouldn't have any belief that we could actually win the league. Now, I'm not suggesting that we are going to win the league. All I'm suggesting is that I think we should start changing our mentality. Because why can't we win the league? And that's what I want to know. I want to understand why people think that we can't win the league. So for me, yes, great to finish above Rangers. Of course it is. But I want one step further than that. Finally, somebody talking sense from an Aberdeen perspective. I think we should get Ali on every week. <laughs> GG, you're sacked. <laughs> I mean, that's what McInnes has kind of done this season is put that winning mentality into Aberdeen. And it can't really compete with the with the, the money that players like, like, like Celtic and Rangers can bring in. They can bring in better players. But what McInnes has done now is bring in a, that mentality. So even when they don't play very well, they still get, they still get wins. I think if we go back maybe, what, two seasons, three seasons, where uh, Ronnie Dyla was in charge, John Collins was assistant manager. Whenever Celtic dropped points, Aberdeen had an opportunity the very next game to close that gap, and we were never able to take it. And many, many people started to question our bottle and our mentality and our bravery. And it was an incredibly frustrating period because I felt at that time this was our greatest chance. And for whatever reason there was, we were just never, ever able to seem to get over the line in the very next game. And it was an incredibly frustrating period. And I genuinely think that we have a group of players at the moment who are far stronger mentally than we have had in a number of years. And it's giving me, and I would like to think that it's giving my fellow fans a great deal of encouragement. Has there been any point in the season that you thought or saw the potential in Sam Cosgrove that has turned him into the greatest goal scorer in the history of the Scottish Premiership? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And I knew he was going to win the Ballon (laughs) d'Or. It's an astonishing turnaround. And... To be honest with you, fair play to the boy because it couldn't have been easy for him because everybody was getting on his back, everybody was questioning his ability and his desire and all of a sudden he's just turned it around and I think we're all hugely proud of him at the moment and we can now, we're now reaping the benefit of his hard work um, because from what I understand from, from, from speaking to the players at the club who I'm friendly with, this guy works tirelessly in training he's a hugely popular figure in the dressing room and he's just worked and worked and worked obviously a lot of the boys have encouraged him he's he's received a great deal of encouragement from the gaffer and and the doc um but he's stuck at it he's believed in his own ability and now again i've used the terminology before but we're reaping the benefits of that um and i'm absolutely delighted for the boy and he deserves every single plaudit that's coming his way at the moment i just hope he's fit for wednesday night Well, just finally, Ali, tell us about your Aberdeen blogs. I hear you've got one coming out about Willem van der Ark. Am I saying that right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, So I've just just finished it, actually. I've just edited it. I've got wee Gordon Strachan lined up. I'm speaking to Gordon in the next couple of days. I've also got Judy Murray lined up. I'm absolutely thrilled that Judy has agreed to do one with me. That's a big one, Um, yeah. Because as much as I'm writing about Aberdeen, I'm now ready to, to branch out somewhat. And Judy's going to come on and she's going to talk to me about parenting kids who excel at sport. So I'm hoping that that blog will will be really useful for some people who hopefully will read it. So I'm really looking forward to speaking to Judy at the end of the month. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Dundee take on Kilmarnock at Dens Park on Wednesday night. It was a bit of a damaging weekend for both clubs. Dundee would have moved out of the relegation playoff place were it not for that late Hamilton equaliser. And Kelly lost at home to Hearts on Friday night, leaving them nine points off top spot. They're missing Eamon Brophy, aren't they, JJ? Uh, well, yeah, you'd have to be because it's. I mean, he's their most potent goal threat. And we were talking last week about XG and everything, and Brophy's outperforming himself, if that makes sense, yeah. which we're going to say it does. But <laughs> like, I know there's some sort of chat that Kelly are a bit consistent, but they're not really. I think they set up pretty much the same every single game. And they did the same thing against Hearts, where the width comes from the wingers, they, they play a 4-5-1, and then they played, what's his name, Njoli in centre-forward. Centre He's normally like a winger, really. Yeah. But Hearts kept them quiet. They didn't let them really get into the game for, for ages and ages and ages. It's quite a slow start. That's what Kelly do. They don't let you score. It's all about, you know, you, you don't score against them first. But Hearts were very respectful of them. They played a back three, which they do sometimes, but it meant that they had wing backs, which meant that they could either stop 
Jones and Burke on either wing getting forward. So it's like defending in two ways. Either they had wing backs to cover the spaces when they were attacking around the wings so they couldn't get crosses in, or the wing backs to get higher up the pitch and uh, force those those wingers to play f- deeper to stop Kilmarnock from being able to get so far forward, which means they, they couldn't get crosses in. So then the wingers were going inside the pitch, like inverted wingers, but because they have a back three, the left or right side centre-back would come across to stop them there. So they were just blocking all the routes to it. I mean, Stephen Naismith was absolutely amazing in that game. Mm. But I think Kelly are, they're all right, but they're, they're clearly missing Craig Stewart now. It's yeah. a huge loss. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think you've got Steve Clark, great manager. Um, he's really good, yeah. <laughs> such a great manager. <laughs> he's, he's now in the press and he says, you know, he's saying a lot of things about referees and you're not seeing too much about the team in the press with Kilmarnock at the moment. You see more about Steve Clark and, and referees. The... That's a wee bit harsh to say that though because when you look at the reasoning behind him saying this it's a lot to do with the other side of the, the kind of the other side of the mic almost mm. um you look at the journalists going to press conferences at Kelly once twice even three times a week depending on the fixtures more organizations now will be saying in the newsroom right we need to cover Kilmarnock because they're doing so well we have to go we have to go and speak to Steve Clark again um and on a normal average season they wouldn't be going this often so they're the journalists are going to be sick of going and seeing his face and asking him the same questions week in, week out. So instead of asking, how are you doing so well? Are you going to challenge? Can you do it? Can you make Europe? Can you keep your momentum up and pressure on Celtic? And getting the same answers week in, week out, they're going to naturally turn to what is the talking point that weekend and ask him something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is why he is he's not coming out and offering an opinion on referees. He's being asked that question and he's answering it. And because it is a talking point right now, that is why it's making the headlines. Mm-hmm. That's it. These press conferences are really boring quite a lot of the time. <laughs> and especially, like, um, it tends to be bigger. Like, in Premier League in England, it's a lot, there's not a lot of people there. But in the Scottish ones, it tends to be the same group of journals who are there every single week. So yeah. they, they're on first name terms with the managers. So well, that's what it's like across the whole Scottish football. Yeah, you, it's, it's a free will, hit, isn't it? To, yeah. to about referees. You, you get a get, line off it. You will get the same journalists covering the same teams. And there they are on a weekly basis. And it, it it gets to the stage where somebody, say, from a radio station doesn't turn up, somebody different's there, the manager will then go, we're such and such this week, <laughs> and make a joke out of it because in that front line, it is exactly the same faces, give or take one or two. Yeah, it should, uh, should punt Dundee, though, which is obviously what they've got midweek. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what Steve Clark has been saying, he's not, he's not exactly wrong, um, <laughs> what he's saying. But yeah, uh, regarding Dundee, 11 signings for them in January. Uh, and four of them on deadline day, they're going to need them. <laughs> they're definitely going to need them. They also got rid of Glenn Kamara, who's now you know fully shipped off to to Rangers, which is a good good thing. Maybe I mean it's all it'd be easier to see it in retrospect, isn't it? You can't really predict it. That's hard because the part of the problem that a lot of teams in Scottish Premiership this season had is they signed too many players. It's hard to make them into a team. The only team who's really done it well was Hearts, mm-hmm. who gelled those all at once. So I don't know enough about a lot of these signings that Dundee have. Other than what I can research on, like football manager or yeah. something, Scott Wright maybe a, a good Wright. shout from well, Aberdeen. Maybe, yeah, because they lost Calvin Miller back to Celtic. Yeah, which we we were talking about earlier, and we think that that's probably because they had needed cover for Tierney, who's now he's close to being back at me. Uh, he's back. He went back in training on Monday. There so, you go. Well, good today, knowledge. as we record this, anyway. Good knowledge. I'm interested yeah. to see how Dundee got on with these um, signings, because it's similar to across the city, well, across the road, uh, Dundee United <laughs> also making the same number of signings. Mm. Um, massive deadline day for them. Jim McIntyre's coming in, he's stamping his look on the team now, the same way Robbie Nielsen's coming in, stamping his look on United. Both are going hell for leather in the second half of this season for completely different reasons, yeah. but they have got such a big couple of weeks, few weeks, few months coming up now. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how quickly these new players can bear into the side. Could you imagine if that the case comes where the oh. relegation or promotion playoff comes to Dundee versus Dundee? I have been, I have been be waiting exciting. for this for about, was it three seasons now United have been down? I have been, every you season, want that tie, yeah. I have been saying that I want that to be the playoff final. Time to get the lowdown from the Championship League 1 and 2 with our very own Neil White. Hello everyone, the SPFL card was hit by the weather but all five championship matches made it and there were wins for the top three and the bottom two. Let's start at the top. Ross County turned around a 1-0 halftime deficit to win at Dunfermline. The experienced pair of Billy Mackay and Michael Gardine did the damage to keep them three points clear. Dunfermline had led with a debut goal from Bruce Anderson, the young forward on loan from Aberdeen, but they ended the day three points outside the relegation playoff and only four from bottom. 
Stevie Crawford's team are now well and truly part of a 14 fight at the bottom. Air United's Michael Moffat has operated in the shadow of his goal machine strike partner Lawrence Shanklin this season, but this was his week. His daughter was born early Saturday morning, then the 33-year-old was off to Aloha where he scored two and earned the penalty that gave Shankland his 30th goal of the season. 3-1 to air, they remain the surprise component in the title race in between two clubs whose budgets dwarf their own. Case in point, Dundee United started seven of their squadron of January reinforcements as they beat Morton 2-1. Pavel Safranco, their most reliable offensive weapon all season, scored one and made one for Peter Paulet, signed for an actual transfer fee from MK Dons and recently beloved, of course, of fans of Aberdeen and the Human League. At the bottom, Falkirk and Partick Thistle both won to squeeze things right up. Thistle have won three in a row in all competitions and are unbeaten in 2019. Three matches in League One, at the top of the card, Wraith Rovers only drew with Forfa, and their hopes of overhauling our growth for the title look very skinny indeed. Top played bottom in League Two's only surviving match, and in the end it went to form. Albion Rovers scored first, but Edinburgh City won 3-1 to move four clear of Peterhead, who now have two games in hand. Edinburgh go to Peterhead on Saturday in the game of the day in the SPFL. And finally, spare a thought, won't you, for the couple of hundred or so East Fife fans who travelled to Dublin for their Challenge Cup tie with Bohemians. That was cancelled with all of seven minutes to go before kickoff. And while there are worse places to spend a Saturday than Dublin, that's a brutal drain on time and resources for supporters, players and staff of the League One club. No word yet that they'll make it out of Dublin in time for Saturday's Scottish Cup day against Partick, let alone work on Monday. Yeah, that's a heartbreaker for these five fans. You guys really are Scottish football, so keep it up. <laughs> nice of you to say that to them. Well, yeah, well, all fans are Scottish football, but especially ones who are going to travel all the way to support your team no matter where they are. Um, but a real sickener for the game to be called off seven minutes before kickoff. It sucks. We can't control the weather, really, can you? Unless you're a really good manager. It's a shame, but then um, welcome to the big time, East Fife, because you can't determine the weather and sometimes games do get called off and sometimes you are very far away or even in a different country. Mm-hmm. What I kind of wondered at the time was why the game didn't get played the following day. I don't know if this was discussed or not, or if it was put to bed for a certain reason, but when, say for example, a Champions League or a Europa League game gets called off for a certain reason, which I know is unusual, mm-hmm. but they talk about playing it the following night yeah. because fans and the team have travelled and to save them that waste of time. So I just kind of wonder why that wasn't brought in as an element. It's quite complicated, though, isn't it? Because I think that comes into like policing and... Um, even basic nerdy things like infrastructure and how you get travel and stuff like that. Yeah. Obviously, it really sucks for everyone doing it and it's not been there, but there hasn't been so much water between Ireland and our place. Yeah. Listen, have you guys got any wasted day stories that you can share for us? My whole life. life is a, yeah. <laughs> the only one I can think of, right? I went to the 2000... Did I go? I'm pretty sure I went. went to, I'm pretty sure I went to the. Just t- say you did. I did. Yeah. Well, for the purposes of this, I did. I'm sure. I'm sure I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I remember. We went to the 2000 Scottish you, Cup it? final in 2000, which is um, between Aberdeen Rangers. Rangers won 4-0, which was particularly infamous because Jim Leighton got kicked in the head by Rod Wallace in about the third middle, third minute, maybe earlier, and I had to go off as an injury because you can't kick people in the head, and. There was only three subs at a time, and Robbie Winters was one, and I think the two Moroccan players I had at the time, Bella Bed and Zero Ali, were there as well. But Robbie Winters went in goal. He's not a goalkeeper. Uh, and Rangers <laughs> were much better than Aberdeen back then anyway. But then that's it, because it's all it's a cup final. You get so excited for it, and you're like, yes, big day out. Oi, let's go. And then uh, Hampton as well. Yeah. Right? So you've travelled all the way. Exactly. JJ, back in my day, there was only three subs. I know, JJ. We wearing these wee woolly hat tonight. <laughs> no, that was a that's a that was just a waste of time and also a pain in the arse. I slag him, but I remember watching that game. So <laughs> it's also back in my day. Laura, any wasted days for uh, you? There was one time I was going up to Inverness to cover their game against Celtic, and this was like a Sunday lunchtime kickoff and I was we went up stayed overnight on a Saturday night so I was told at all costs avoid the M9 don't go up that central part of Scotland because that's where the, the snow's hitting the worst go up the, the west side through the highlands 
And I thought, great, I've never done that that way before. It's a, a new scenic route for me. So I went up through Glencoe, up through the windy roads. I have never driven snow like that before in my life. Um, I classed myself as quite a good driver, but even then I was in the, the old lady mentality of I'm going to turn the music down. So oh, I concentrate wow. more. I do that. I was like that. <laughs> Were you right up at the um, window as well? I mean, I couldn't see two feet in front of the car, so that didn't make any difference putting my nose up against the window. But anyway, got there. It took about seven hours to get up the roads. I passed a lot of cars that had nosedived into like the ditches outside the roads. Got there. Bellas the word than penalties. <laughs> <laughs> got there about ten o'clock. Absolutely knackered. Went straight to bed. Got a phone call at seven in the morning. And it was, Laura, the game's been called off. Just head home. Oh, gutted. Yeah, and by the time I went, I thought, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to get a big breakfast, put it on company expenses, uh, take my time going back down the road. But by the time I did drive down the road, it was about 12 o'clock, half 12, when the game would have been kicking off. Glorious sunshine. The sun was splitting the sky. No game for Berwick Rangers this weekend due to the weather. Sweet relief for the black and gold after losing 7-1 to Queen's Park last time out. Rangers have lost four out of four in 2019 in League Two. We're joined now by Simon Pride, host of Total Sport on BBC Radio Newcastle. Simon, some listeners might not be aware, but when we're talking about Berwick, we're talking about the only English club in Scotland. Explain what we mean. Yeah, so Berwick Rangers play in the Scottish Third Division um, and uh, you know, Scottish League Two, as it's now known. But uh, yeah, they are south of the border. Berwick is south of the border. It's just um, a mile or so south of the border. But it just makes sense for them to play in the Scottish League just simply because of the logistics. So yeah, um, you know, the, the, the travelling that would be involved to play in the English leagues um, would be far more laborious than it is to play in Scotland. So they train uh, in Edinburgh. Um, but they play in Berwick, um, and yeah, they've been an important, important part of the town's identity for many years. But every single game, as you rightly point out, is uh, is England versus Scotland when Berwick play. Basically, you work for BBC Newcastle, so you cover Berwick as a Northumberland side. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, BBC Newcastle, we we cover a sort of patch up from from County Durham right the way up uh, through Town and Weir to to North Northumberland as well. Yeah, so um, we follow their progress, or indeed. Unfortunately, lack of it, um, as has been the case um, in recent seasons and this season in particular. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the crowds aren't great. In, in Berwick, there's probably a mixture of supporters, really. I mean, there are quite a few people that come down and watch the, the bigger teams here in Newcastle and some, and there are others that will uh, be more geared towards, you know, Celtic and Rangers or the Edinburgh teams. But there is still, a, you know, a nucleus of, of fans there. There's a hardcore following and, you know, they follow them home and away and, uh yeah, things aren't going great at the moment. The fact that they're based in England is uh, something Berwick supporters have to deal with from opposition fans as well, right? Uh, it is, yeah. And, you know, some people in Berwick are Scottish. Uh, some are half and half like me. I'm half Scottish, half English. There is a mixture. Uh, but, yeah, frankly, um, yeah, it, it's, it's used as, as a weapon uh, by visiting fans or by opposition fans, certainly, to, to have a go at Berwick. You know, um, occasionally some Berwick fans are known to be mischievous and... Uh, take uh, George Crosses to away games, that sort of thing. That uh, doesn't always go down particularly well. That uh, doesn't always go down well with some of the other Berwick fans either. But uh, there is that extra underlying element of it. And I think some people enjoy it as long as it sort of stays sensible, you know, that extra level of uh, extra level of banter, I suppose. So we saw after the defeat to Queen's Park that whoever's running the Twitter account has a bit of a sense of humour. Um, what is the general atmosphere amongst the fans at Berwick? Yeah, well, it's not great as you'd expect. I mean, that was a proper gubbin, wasn't it? Seven goals, seven one at, at Queens Park, and uh, it was a collective sigh of relief when the game this weekend was postponed. Frankly, um, I, I sensed apathy um, more, more than anything. I suppose you know, I mean, Eric fans aren't, aren't shy in letting the team know their feelings when things aren't going well, and there is a bit of anger there too because you know people feel that. Uh, certainly, no, there hasn't been investment there. Obviously, um, the manager got sacked. Robbie Horn got sacked, and Johnny Harvey's doing his best now with a. Very limited um, group of players. A couple more left in the in the transfer window haven't been replaced. And um, yeah, I think if you look at any sort of social media, Berwick wise, you'll see that people aren't happy. And 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 uh, at games also, yeah, there's, there's a general discontent. We've just got to hope, just got to hope and pray from a Berwick point of view, anyway, um, that there remains one team worse than them in the division, and that is the case at the moment with Albion Rovers. Still got to play them a couple of times. So those are going to be titanic clashes, aren't they? Berwick against Albion, um, one home, one away. Um, and, and they're going to be crucial trying to avoid staying off the bottom of the table because uh, if they end up in the playoffs and end up, worst case scenario, going out of the league, you know, I'm, I'm not sure whether they'd recover. You mentioned Johnny Harvey. He's hired in October. He's only 36. Um, is that quite a big job for someone so young? 
It is, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess they just wanted to try something a little bit different. I'm sure that the club's limited budget had something to do with that as well. But he's somebody that I didn't know much about, didn't know anything about, I'll be honest, before he came, like many managers before. Um, he's talked the talk. He certainly seems to have some fresh ideas. I think his youth can certainly be a plus. I know he's been engaging with supporters on, on social media and stuff like that as well and um, communicating with them. I know a lot of fans appreciated that because that's not always been the, the case in the past. So, um, you know, he's got a bit of leeway with them. He's certainly got a, a, you know, a talent as a, as a football coach and hopefully, you know, he can, he, he can begin to turn things around. Yeah, as you say, Rangers are currently seven points clear of Albion. What could the consequences of relegation from the SPFL be? It doesn't bear thinking about, really. I mean, I've, I've chatted to people at the club about this in the past, and it would be absolutely absolutely disastrous for them, I think. I mean, there are hopes that they might um, end up with a new ground in the, in the not-too-distant future, that there could be a fresh start, that there could be a fresh impetus with the club, but they need to be in the Football League, the Scottish Football League, to, for, for that to happen, I think. And I mean, some people say that the club might end up going out of existence. I mean, that, that's quite a dramatic um, scenario to, to think of. But I, I can also see why they say that. You know, crowds aren't great at the moment anyway. And if they were to play in the East of Scotland League, it would be if they were to be relegated. Then, um, you know, the, the crowds would dwindle even further. The quality of football, they'd see, it, it, you'd feel it was just, they'd just be in a, in a spiral. Very, very difficult to get out of it because to get back out of it, they'd have to win their league again. And then win a couple of playoffs and it would be very, very difficult. And, I think some people would imagine that they wouldn't ever make it back. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there is potential there somewhere. They have had promotions in the past. They have moved up to, you know, to at least one division in the past. Uh, they're a long way from that now, but absolutely imperative that, uh, yeah, they stay above Albion Rovers this season. As I say, we're just lucky, I think, that there is one more team that, that's worse done than this season. Just somehow find a way, any way, uh, to stay afloat this season and then hopefully, maybe, you know, kick on and see some improvement next year. St Mirren v Motherwell, guys. What do you think? St Mirren can't defend set pieces. Motherwell used to be really good at taking set pieces. I think they should maybe mix up some of that lovely attacking football with some fridge freezer action. <laughs> yep, just throwing the fridge freezers right in the but, box. I, I mean, they are. They must work on it in training quite a lot, but it seems the heads go when it comes to the actual game and situations where everyone's panicking and the ball's in the mixer. Well, if they concede a quarter of the penalties they concede at Ibrox, they might be all right. Yes. That'd be one, wouldn't it? <laughs> nice mathematics. That's right, yeah. yeah. This is a very winnable game for Motherwell. They're on this really good run now. So four league wins in a row. First time they've done this since 2015-16. And at that point, they did five. So this could equal that. They've also got was it three clean sheets in a row now as well. And they're closing that gap on Hibs and Livy. It's very much a kind of battle around the top of the bottom six yeah. verging into can they push over that split um, which isn't quite the talk yet but I think we're getting there I, maybe, I was maybe premature with that a couple of weeks ago or ahead of my everyone else you know ahead of my time but um, I think that is going to merge into what is the battle for the top six come the split they are doing really well just now the confidence must be really high amongst the squad yeah and to, to welcome back people like Tasty who was on loan to Aloha in the first half of the season and then he bags two goals it just it goes to show the great youth that are coming through at Motherwell alongside David Turnbull who's been a sensation Yeah Turnbull's been great a lovely wee spark in the middle that's bringing everything to life um, he's doing everything right just now Jake Hasty as well he's only 19 a great goal great run as well mm-hmm. um, for the second one and then there's James Scott as well came on as a sub um, and he's been kind of in and around the first team sitting on the bench a lot this season but actually kind of coming on and getting his chance again it's been great Hearts v Livingston Livingston winless since beating Hearts 5-0. Hammering. Yep. A Hearts hammering. Yes. Could that be what happens? <laughs> well, Livy have gone back to being not amazing now, so they, we thought they might middle out, and they're sort of they're doing it. I think that's four four losses in a row, is it? Uh, that's yeah, right, yeah. You could ask Ardley in freefall. What do you think? See, if they hadn't had the start to the season they had, they could be fighting the relegation battle yeah, just now. Right. It's, it's been such a, a, a good buffer for them. They must be so relieved that they went on that because I would be worried for them you say he, four defeats in a row it's no win in six well that is free fall isn't it I mean to be 3-0 down before half an hour being out on Saturday that's not good for any team but mm. for a team that's against Motherwell who are not the best sides in the, the Premiership they are around the same area on the table they shouldn't be losing to teams like Motherwell never mind losing three goals within half an hour and considering they're on their own just now, it's not, it's not a good mixture for them at all. I know this is obvious to say it, right? 
because Naismith is, is Hearts' best player. But when Stephen Naismith plays for Hearts, they are infinitely better. Everyone around them plays better. I think he just shouts at everyone all during the game. <laughs> like barks, he, like yeah. he barks hates them. Yeah. He must be nice outside the pitch. But <laughs> That's the thing. He is raises your he's level. meant to be the nicest guy off the pitch. He does a lot of stuff like charity work and he's everything. He's a winner though. He's got that determination. He, yeah, yeah. He is, I think he's a bit like Scott Brown where he is, as soon as you go on the pitch, he is just this terrier that you hate to be playing up against but you love him being in your team. Got a stat in front of me that says Hearts have won 18 of the 22 games Stephen Naismith not, has played. Yeah, not league games though. It's I think that's, that's all, all competition. Yeah. So someone else who's been showing his worth as well is Sean Clare starting to look yeah, his, his goal against um, Kelly was so good. That yeah. a beautiful. They, I think they they caught the midfield out of out of shape, which is rare against Kelly. But then, Sean Clare's first touch is nice. His second touch takes it away from the defender, and the third is a shot back across the goalkeeper in the bottom corner, like a really classy kind of thing. And that's maybe what happens when you get Naismith barking at you to be better because he's played it very 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 high levels yeah, so he if he's got you if he demands that of you maybe that makes you start playing that bit better or the weaker players obviously crumble but we'll see what happens yeah. it should be an interesting tie as always Hamilton v St Johnston so two home games to open Brian Rice's account as head coach of Hamilton yeah, he's got another chance to uh, get his first win as coach um, but it is St Johnston who albeit they've lost the last three games in a row um, they're very consistent with their inconsistency St Johnson they, so they, when they lose three games in a row they're going to pop up with three wins it's, it's like that that's yeah. how it looks like this season lost three in a row won four in a row lost four won five in a row um, they're not all over the place so I think I, mean, I don't know St Johnson are probably just happy they're not playing Celtic they don't change much either St Johnson from game to game they're very much like I think how Killy have been this season where the first thing they do is they line up so you can't score against them and then they manage to score somehow and then because they're still in that mode they can counter-attack you and get a second, and that seems to be often like how they play, and they're quite good at it. But Hamilton are now trying to play attacking football. He's doing an Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, is our yeah. friend Brian Rice, pushing them the defensive line higher up the pitch. Because under Martin Canning, because they don't have very good... I don't think they've got very good players, Hamilton. But they were sitting in a low block the entire time, trying to defend by blocking the path to goal. And they're still losing games, and they're hoping to get in the counter-attack and get a set-piece or something like that, and often it's not working. Yeah. So the theory seems to be now... If they push it up higher, maybe a mid-press, so you've got space in behind the fence that you can defend against, but you also, you're also you closer to the opposition goal. So by keeping the ball further away from your own penalty area, though it seems more attacking, it's actually maybe a better defensive strategy because it means that opposition teams are further to go to get at them. We should um, probably doff the cap to Mr. Xander Clark. I love a good doff. Yeah, so... Um yeah, he was exceptional against Celtic, and you say Hamilton are much more attacking now, but they're going to have a they're going to have it very very tough. They're coming up against an on it Xander Clark because he was excellent against Celtic. That's it from us. We'll be back on Monday after the fifth round of the Scottish Cup. Can Ockinleck give Craig Levine something to really get angry about? We'll see you then. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com and be sure to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Yeah.